The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Um, Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 22. And yes, I am wearing the same shirt that I wore last week. I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. That's what somebody told me that this morning. That's pretty funny. Anyway, um, looking forward to the game today and looking forward to our text. I'm encouraged in the word. Um, I kind of skipped over a few verses in chapter 21. Um, Talks about Abimelech. It says, uh, at that time, and we'll just kind of hit it real quick here in in 21, 22. It says, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. And so Abimelech, he recognizes in Abraham that God, man, God is blessing this guy. It seems like he continues to touch his life and he wants to enter into an agreement with him. And he doesn't believe the same way that um, uh, he's not following. It doesn't in any way say that he follows God like Abraham does. But uh, we see kind of the sacred and the secular functioning. And there, there's probably some teaching I could do on that, but uh, I didn't want to, so I skipped it. <laughs> and so we're going right into chapter 22 uh, and, and I want to really launch into uh, how the, the Lord, like, when Abimelech sees this in Abraham, what's the question? Why, why does he see this? Why, why, why is it that God seems to be with Abraham in everything that he does? And I think we'll, we'll see as we unpack chapter 22, we'll see the reason for that is that Abraham has been on this journey with God. And he has learned how to develop a, a level of intimacy with God where that um, he's walking in a place of obedience that God can continue to uh, pour out blessings on his life and, and it increases favor with him. And I think that the same thing can be true for us is that as we walk in obedience to the Lord, we can expect more favor from the Lord because the Lord wants to, um, it wants to reflect his glory in this world. And the more that we are posturing ourselves toward him, uh, I think the more that we are reflecting his glory and the more that he can trust us with. That's what Jesus meant when he said, he who is faithful in a little will be faithful in much. And the Lord can continue uh, to use us to accomplish his desire for us on, on the planet during our lifetimes. And so as we jump in this Today, what we're going to see is that Abraham, um, he's been growing uh, from the time that he received the call out of the land of his father, and he left there to um, just continue to listen. He's continuing to listen to the Lord. The Lord's taking him, uh, him on this journey, but we see today that, man, he gets tested. Um, he gets a major test in his life. And I think that, uh, I think we all go through that. I think you will, if you are a believer, that God will test you. Um, now, God doesn't tempt us with sin, but he tests us with things to uh, help us. Really, it's not so much about 
Um, God, if I pass a test, all of a sudden God doesn't become more holy and he uh, doesn't become more divine because Jimmy passed the test that he gave him. What happens is I become uh, more intimate with him. I share on a deeper level of intimacy and it's more about stretching me than it is making God into anything. God is God and we can't really do anything uh, to improve him, all he can do is move in us to improve us. And so as we, we see this, we're, we're going to see a lot of lessons that are played out here. There's a lot of uh, stuff that is going on to test Abraham individually to help him grow, but also it's sort of a forecast of what the Lord would do in the, uh, when he comes to show up on the planet in the form of Christ himself. It says, sometime later, and we're in chapter 22, verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. And so I think this is interesting right out of the gate because the times that God has come and uh, talked to Abraham that we've seen up into this point, to this point, they have been what we've, we've called Christophanies or Theophanies where God takes on the appearance of a human and he interacts with Abraham. We saw that when he came to him in his tent and he, he makes this appearance. But that, that's not what happens here. He just calls out to him. And I think one of the reasons for that is Abraham is developing a deeper level of intimacy and recognition of when God shows up that he doesn't need God to show up um, in physical appearance. He knows the Lord's voice as God calls out to him and he can hear him. And I think that um, the, the same could be said for us. The longer we follow the Lord, the more sensitive we are to his voice and him speaking to us. And Jesus said that would be the case in John chapter 10. And so then God said uh, to him, as he's listening to God, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. <laughs> this is Now, when you talk about tests, that's a test, man. Take this son you, whom you love and you're going to offer him to me as a sacrifice, which goes against everything that he has known about God up to this point. So this is early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And so I think this is interesting because God doesn't tell him exactly where he's going. He just says, go to this, go in this direction. And uh, when you get there, I'll show you what to do next. And so he gets up and he starts cutting wood to offer this sacrifice. He doesn't ask anybody to help him. I think he's contemplating. He's thinking about this and he's cutting the wood and, and he sets out on the journey. And, and as he goes, then the Lord shows him a little bit more. It reminds me of um, uh, the story in the book of Acts. And, 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 and there's a lot of parallels about how we follow the Lord and how Abraham is showing us how he followed the Lord. The difference is, is that the Spirit now lives in all of us who have called upon him and, and we've been forgiven of our sins and we know Jesus, then the Spirit lives in us and so we can listen to the Spirit and he can lead us. And there's a story in the book of Acts where Philip um, is told to go 
um, on this desert road. Take this way. And he goes, and as he's going, then keeps, things keep happening. But he doesn't know everything that's going to happen until he responds to the first thing that the Spirit tells him to do. And that's what we see with Abraham here. It's like, hey, do this, and then I'll show you. And then I'll show you some more. And then I'll show you some more. And, and that's the way the spiritual journey happens, is it's not, hey, I'm in it give you everything, and this is how it's all going to play out, and so now you can follow me. No, it's, hey, do one, this one thing, and then I'll give you a, a little bit more along in the journey. And so he finally comes, and then on the third day of this journey, he looks up, he sees the place in the distance, and he said to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, if you're taking notes and you like to write in your Bible, this is a really good one to underline. He says, we will worship, then we will come back to you. And so God has told him to go up there and sacrifice his son. He's only taking his son up there, but he plans on bringing him back. So something has clicked in Abraham's mind as he's been on this three-day journey and thinking about how God has asked him to do what feels unthinkable for him. And so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of uh, them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his uh, father Abraham, Father. Now, a lot of times I think we picture that, that Isaac was, you know, a young lad. Most scholars would agree he is at least 17 and, and could have been as old as 30 to 33 years of age. And so he could have stopped at any point, but he's following his dad's lead as his dad is leading him up there and literally places the wood that he's going to use to burn his dead body after he, after he sacrifices him. This is a hard, hard teaching in the word. What in the world is going on? And, and he doesn't fight with him. He just, he just asks him a question. And he says, yes, my son. And he says, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of this, his son. And so Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And he identifies God now as a new name, Jehovah Jireh. He said, why does God keep giving us all these names? So that we would understand what he's like. And these names carry his character. And that basically means he will, he will see to it. And then the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because of you, you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Now, we've heard that before in the previous um, statement of the promise. But now he says, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So he adds to it that they will, uh, the, the descendants will take the cities and that's exactly what Joshua does um, if you study the book of Joshua, they go in and they take the promised land and this is where God extends the, or expands on the covenant that he has made with Abraham. And then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Okay, so we look at here and we go, what in the world is going on? The God that we know of the Bible asking Abraham to sacrifice, to make a human sacrifice. Well, Abraham was being tested on his perception of who God was and whether or not he would continue to trust him as God asked him to do something very hard. And I believe that everyone, all of us as believers, um, I think that initially we're tested on whether or not we trust God to save us. And if you do, then you come to a point in your life where you recognize that you are a sinner that you are separated from God. There's nothing that you can do to reconcile that separation. You can't earn your way into a place of being pleasing God because you've already messed up and you've already offended him if you have any sin in your life. And you begin to recognize that and you go, I, there's nothing I can do. All I can do is ask him to forgive me and believe that the sacrifice that he made on the cross of Calvary um, that, that, that I, I trust in Jesus and I trust that he not only died, but he rose from the dead and that he will give me life and I come alive in Christ. That's what it means. We learned about that last week. It, it is a miracle in and of itself. It is a miracle of the promise and it's part of the fulfillment of this covenant that all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed when we believe in the seed that comes through the line of Abraham. And so th at that point, you come to know the Lord. And I, I've been talking about, we, throughout the series, I'll mention from time to time this metaphor that we learned in Isaiah that the, the Messiah would make a highway of holiness. And what is that? All who come to the on-ramp of Jesus, they get on the highway of holiness. But some are moving along further on this highway than others. And it's not a matter of, how long you have come to know the Lord, how long ago that was. You don't automatically grow just because you come to know the Lord. Um, it's not determined by your age, uh, your gender, or anything else except this one thing. It is how fast are you pushing down on the accelerator of your spiritual growth? And what is that accelerator? It is obedience. And as is that for, no, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> and so uh, it, it is your obedience to the Lord. And so as you walk in obedience, you're learning to push down on the accelerator and you can be 17 and a, you can go right by a guy who's 45 and you're, you're just obeying the Lord at a greater rate and you can zoom right past them on the highway of holiness. Now we're not in a competition. Um, we're not trying to say, well, I'm getting along farther than you. But man, if I'm going to be alive, I want to go as far as I can, right? I want to live as much life as I possibly can on this side of eternity. And that's what 
Um, that's why when, when, when this Abimelech looks at Abraham and he sees, man, I see that God is with you in everything you do, I think he's seeing him experience the favor of God and it's wrapped up on how he perceives God and how he continues to trust God even when things are very difficult. And so you get on this highway and you come on the on-ramp through Christ, but once you're on it, I believe we all go through a major test, okay? And, and I think God is consistently testing us with different things. But I think after we've come on the highway of holiness and we've, we've come alive in Christ, I think there is a time in our journey where God will test us with something very hard, much like he does Abraham. Um, and so we'll, 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 we'll look at that. Now, logically, Abraham thought either God was crazy or he had a plan. Because this was crazy. God told him, here's the promised child. You, it's not going to happen through this other child, Ishmael, where you and Sarah kind of got things all messed up. He's like, it's going to happen through Isaac. Now take that son that it's going to happen through and take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. And so that felt crazy, but he is thinking in his mind, either God is crazy or he has a plan. And he realizes as he looks at his life, God's not crazy. I'm the one that's always crazy. God seems to come through every time. And so sometimes it's going to feel to you like God is asking you to do something crazy and you have to recognize you're the crazy one. God is not, right? He will ask us to do hard things. It doesn't make sense in this world. And, and that's what happens a lot in the kingdom. And so Abe's experience with God led him to believe that God always has a plan. It is him and Sarah that continue to mess up the plans and get themselves in trouble. And so he didn't understand how it could work, but he left it with God and he believed God would perform a miracle and, and he trusted him. Humanly speaking, it was, there was a contradiction here, but not with God. And we see this a lot in the, in, in the word. Now, if you look at John chapter 8, uh, there's a, there's a, a um, you study this this week. In John chapter eight, these Pharisees are talking to Jesus about his identity and uh, who he is. And, and they, they start to say that our father is Abraham. And he said, if your father was Abraham, you would listen to Abraham. And it's this famous passage where he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. And they're like, you're not even 50 years old. And yet you you say you know uh, Abraham, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. Okay, it's that passage. And, and so he's saying that Abraham, he, he rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. We get into Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, in the roll call of faith, and it starts to talk about um, how Abraham was tested. And if you'll read that, it says that Abraham was tested when he was called to give up Isaac. And he looked and he reasoned in his mind and he, he logically said, look, if, if this is what God is asking me to do, then he's going to raise him from the dead. And Jesus says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. And in some capacity, we don't know how much detail, but Abraham was able to see God revealed to him that resurrection was how this was going to be taken uh, care of. 
And so that's what he was walking out. It was a picture of what God would do himself as um, he, God the Father, allows Jesus, God the Son, to be crucified in our stead, um, and he's resurrected. And the whole basis, the whole primary doctrine of Christianity is the resurrection of the dead. If you take the resurrection of the dead out, Christianity is nothing, okay? It just, there's, it's nothing. It is the resurrection of Christ that makes it different from every other religion, and it's, it's what authenticates that Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. And so Abraham is seeing a picture of that even in this thing he's being asked to do on Mount Moriah. And so <laughs> what that tells us is that, humanly speaking, um, there will often be things that feel like a contradiction, but they're never a contradiction with God. And we see these all the time. They say, well, it is uh, more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so God would call us into a place of obedience financially. He would say, look, you know what? Like one of the things that you will be tested with is whether or not you believe um, that God, uh, like that you uh, believe to the point that you're willing to trust God with your finances. And some of you have never done that. And the reason you've never done that is because you think you don't, you don't have enough money to do that. And it doesn't make sense. And so you're still walking in a place of unbelief. Now, why am I teaching about this? Are we trying to raise some money? No. The church is fine, man. Like, we're sitting with a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank. So I'm not teaching you this to try to raise some money and go, oh, the church is always after money. No, I'm teaching you about your heart and what you believe about money and whether or not you trust God with your money and whether or not you can step into the realm of faith. Because without God, it feels like, well, if I start to give here, then I won't have as much. When the reality is that the Lord says that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, and I will provide for you in an even greater capacity capacity than you have now if you will trust me in this. And so it's a step of faith. Time is the same way. Sometimes people will say, well, I, I just don't have the time to be in the word. Um, I'm, I'm so busy. My job is so demanding and I don't have time. When the reality is the Lord will bless you with a law of productivity that when you invest in the word, he will help you in all of your time and make you much more productive by you giving some of your time to sow the word of God into your life. And that is a step of faith. And then you say, well, you know, I don't have, I don't read my Bible to, because I don't have enough time. No, you don't read your Bible because you don't have enough faith. You don't really believe that reading it and being in it will help it come into your life and sow into you and start producing in you. If you do believe it, then it will start to do that thing, okay? So with Jesus, it's always, um, it always feels upside down, but the reality is it's right side up and everything that you think is right side up is upside down. So Jesus is teaching you to fly right side up. And often when he asks you to do things, they're going to be terrifying. And I think that there will be a major test to take you to a place of intimacy um, that will be um, one of the most terrifying things that you could ever do. But that's when you learn how to really accelerate on the highway of holiness because it starts to get, um, it doesn't get easier to obey the Lord, but your confidence gets much greater. 
And so in some sense, I guess it does get a little easier, but the things always feel hard that he's asking us to walk out our obedience. And so some of you, you, you need to like understand that when we look at this story, what do we notice about um, Abraham? What did he do? He says, here I am. He said, I want you to go. I want you to take your son up on this mountain, the son, your only son that you love, not the other son, not Ishmael, but your son, Isaac, who holds the promise. Everything that was precious to Abraham and everything about God and all of his future was wrapped up in this one son. He is the miracle son. Take that son, take him up on the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice. And what is, it, what is the next thing? Early in the morning, he started getting ready for the trip. Now, most of us, I think in the modern day era, when we look at this, we go, well, I really need to figure out, did God really say that? I think I'm going to fast for another six months and figure this out. Early in the morning, he told the servants, get the donkey ready, and he started cutting wood. He's trying to, he doesn't understand this all. And I think in the process of cutting the wood and then pondering, and he, he, he sees it. God continues to reveal it to him, but he doesn't experience it until he's willing to get up on top of the mountain. And so um, he, he, he fixes his eyes on God and he continues to believe. And that's what faith is. Faith is acting upon what we say that we believe. And so in, in the instance of, uh, you know, uh, some of the things that I've been talking about, you don't want to delay the obedience, some of you, like the Lord, you said, man, I've given my life to Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You know what Jesus says? Go make disciples and baptize them. And you haven't been baptized and you're delaying the obedience. Abraham didn't delay his obedience. He immediately obeyed and he started obeying. And that's why he was able to accelerate. And that's why Abimelech could look at his life and go, it seems like God is with you in everything you do. It was because of his desire to obey God immediately. And the older he gets and the longer he follows God, the more he is able to obey God immediately. And so some of you need to step into your obedience. What in the world are you waiting on? Like, you say, we, it, like, who am I talking to right now in this moment? If you've never been baptized, I'm talking to you, okay? This, you need to, well, what do you do? Do something. Get the bulletin out, and if you open it up and it says, I need to be baptized, put your name on the card and say, I want to be baptized, and put it in the plate on the way out. Don't wait. Like, if you've never started giving, don't delay, like, get your wallet out and put something in the plate. Why? Because you need to see God as Jehovah Jireh. Like, you're not going to do, it's not going to make me any, I'm not going to go, oh, look, we got another baptism this week. I feel better about myself. I feel great about myself. <laughs> you getting baptized is not going to change me. Why? Because I'm just following the Lord and I'm going to continue to preach the word as he called me to preach it and I'm going to believe it and I'm going to walk out my obedience. And your obedience doesn't impact my obedience except from, for the fact that I could get a lot of, of encouragement out of your obedience. But my relationship with the Lord is for me to walk out my obedience. And so I'm not trying to do something to make me feel better about myself. I'm trying to help you see, man, the Lord is calling out to you and these tests are laid before us. And, and the, when, even when we step into these, these are minor short putts, man. Just like, this is nothing. The Lord will eventually, after you start to do these things and you, you, your confidence builds, there's coming the day that he will ask you to do something that's going to scare you to death. 
And that's when you want to be able to be ready for that test because it is a frightening thing, but it is designed to take you somewhere. What's really interesting is this passage contains the uh, first use of the word obey in the Bible. <laughs> and, and it's such a hard thing for him uh, to walk out his obedience. And, and Abe walks it out immediately. He doesn't um, postpone it. And so he has to sustain it over a three-day period. Now, imagine how difficult this is as he's walking up and he's like tells them, but he's still holding on to faith. He takes the boy up there um, uh, and Isaac, he gets him laid out and, and he's on the wood. He gets out the knife, man, and he's terrified, but he's still trying to trust the Lord. He's about to make the sacrifice. God stops him. And the whole time that he's been um, probably a little bit trying to have to force himself to put one foot in front of the other, God has had this ram coming up that mountain and getting ready to walk right through this thicket at this exact time when this knife comes right down on his son's throat. And he gets hung up. Stop! And there's a lamb over there. And now you imagine, if there was ever a party, there was one right there in that moment. You think Isaac was happy? Absolutely. You think Abraham was happy? Absolutely. What do you think happened when they came down from the mountain? I told you we were coming back. God asked me to go up there and sacrifice this boy. I got up there. I put him on the wood. I was ready to cut his throat. I was terrified, but I knew God, Jehovah Jireh, would make a way. And, and right there in the moment I was about to sacrifice him, this ram is caught in the thicket and God stops me and he gives me a substitute. And then it becomes the story for the remainder of like the whole Bible is all about this lamb. Like all of Israel's history is wrapped up in this particular account of when Isaac was about to be sacrificed and God provided a way around it. And so faith, um, F.B. Meyer, he talks about Abraham's life and he, he says like faith is is it feels like you're stepping out into a mist or, or a, a cloud and you step out into it and it feels like a cloud and each time you discover there's a rock under there and you can't see it, but it keeps showing up. And so in all of these things that I've talked about you that feel a little bit smaller, they're designed to build us up. I think um, ultimately we will get to a place where we're asked to, and tested on something much more difficult. And again, um, it, it, will, it will be terrifying, but it's designed to stretch us in our intimacy with the Lord. And so what's the difference between testing and tempting? Well, tempting is all about sin. And so the, the devil will tempt you in your flesh that we looked at last week. We need to cast the flesh out because the flesh is the one that's always going to be um, yielding to the lies. And so that's why Jesus says, send the flesh away. God says, send the flesh away. Cast it out and rely on the promise of the Holy Spirit because the devil's always going to try to tempt you with sin, but God is always going to test you because the devil is tempting you with sin to destroy your life. God is going to test you in things of faith to grow your life. And as you yield to him in the test, you're going to find more life. That's why he says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you keep trying to find your life, you're never going to find it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Nothing, absolutely nothing. And so um, here we got 10 minutes. I haven't touched one point, but do not worry. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for us today, okay? 
We're gonna roll through these really quick. You, if you're following the Lord, you can expect to be tested, okay? And what do we know about your tests? Your test will involve slaying something you love the most. Okay? Once you're following the Lord, he will ask you for something you love more than anything else. That's what he did in Isaac's case. Now, when I was younger, 22 years old, I answered the call to preach. That, that really was not that hard for me. Man, when I, when I surrendered and the, the Holy Spirit got complete control of my life, he flooded me um, with the fruit of the Spirit and, and joy. I was so full of joy that, it, man, I, 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 there was no turning back for me. I, I was just... I was on fire for the Lord. And then so like 60 days after that commitment, I answered the call to preach. And that was easy as well because I, I was amazed that when I got up to, to, to speak for the first time, it just came out. And I was in shock and everybody that listened to me was in shock too because they had watched a hoodlum just be transformed in the power of Christ. And they're like, how is he teaching this way? And I still can't explain it to this day. The Lord just, he just gifted me with it, okay? And so that was fun. And answering and saying, man, I, I know this is what the Lord has called me to do. And so I started following the Lord. And, um, but I was, I, one of the places that I was terrified about during this period of my life was, was dating and trying to uh, like just find some, who else would want to be, who, how could I find an, uh, someone that, that would know what I know about the Lord or that would, like what sane woman would want to marry a preacher is really what I had struggle with. Like who would want to do that? And, and somebody said, well, that's just where I was at. And I remember, man, like I remember when I, 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 tried, I dated several girls and this is like, it's getting frustrated. And I, I remember praying. I remember the, I, I felt the Lord calling me. It was like, would you be single for the rest of your life? And man, I, like I, I get emotional a little bit about it because I can remember where I was. Like I, I remember hitting up against the wall in my, the house I lived in and sliding down the wall in the hallway of the kitchen um, between my, my bedroom and my kitchen and just starting to weep. And I was able finally to say, yes, Lord, I'll be single for the rest of my life. And I didn't, that wasn't just a prayer that I prayed in word. Like, like when I, I, had to, I, had to, I had to take the knife out and cut that and let it bleed. And I wasn't sure. I didn't know the Lord was telling me to be single, I, he, but I, he was definitely asking me to surrender that, to lay it on the altar. And, and so I did, and it was terrifying. It was, it was, it was the, at that time in my life, it was the thing I loved most. I wanted to find somebody that I could share life with and marry, and I was having such a difficult time. And I prayed that prayer, and within a, within a couple of months of me letting go of that. Um, the, there was a Sunday morning. I went to a church that was smaller than our church at this particular time. No young people in it whatsoever. Uh, me and my buddy that I led to the Lord were trying to lead a college class that didn't hardly have it, that had about three college students in it. And rolling in in September um, one uh, September morning, there's like 15 people, 15 students come in and, and 10 of them are girls. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and Abby was one of them. 
And, uh, and so like the, the, the thing is, is I, I believe the Lord had her the whole time, just like he had the realm coming up the mountain, getting ready to get caught in the thicket. I believe that, that God was just testing me and it was more about me, not him. It was more about me needing to understand how he provides. Um, and, and so here's the second thing. You cannot outgive God. And so I gave that up to the Lord, and I love this woman. Like, like I'm telling you, I'm so attracted to her. Now, in full disclosure, sometimes she frustrates the living daylights out of me, right? And I do her. But I, I like, when I see her, I'm so attracted to her. My heart still skips a beat. I love her to death. And um, she is a gift from the Lord himself. And it, it is rooted in that. And in and, and that time, like I see it as, man, the Bible says, he who finds a wife is, finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. And so, like, I, I, that, that's just like, when I see Abby, I see a gift from God um, that he has given me. And so it's, I, the, I can't, I like look back on my life and I'm like, oh my gosh, if the Lord would have done, I kind of like Garth Brooks, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers, right? There's some of them like, I would have never made it. What, what was I thinking? But with Abby, like I never have to work. Like I just, man, she's my soulmate. And God gave her to me and I thought he was asking me to sacrifice something that I would, would never um, that I was never going to have it. And so that's what you have to understand. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive him financially. Um, we, we don't, you know, the church takes care of us. We, we get a nice uh, salary and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but the reality is, you know, that it is expensive to live um, in Johnson County out in this area. The home that we have we really, we shouldn't be able to afford that home. That's like, like I look at that. And, but the timing of it and how God has taken care of us even all the way back to when we were first starting in ministry, like I can see that we learned at an early lesson how to, how to sacrifice financially and give. You can't outgive God. And I, I look at that and, and, and a lot of our retirement, I think, will be wrapped up because of the equity we have in that home. But that is the Lord. Like that is the Lord taking care of us. And what I want you to see is you can't outgive God. You never will be able to. And so he takes us on these tests and these journeys so that we begin to learn some of these things. And again, it's gonna feel like you're stepping on a cloud, but when you step on that cloud, you're gonna discover the rock of Christ underneath it. And, and here's the third and, and final thing. Others are, are blessed through your obedience. Isaac was blessed through the obedience of Abraham. Here we've got a, somebody, for, for sure, from some, anywhere from 17 to 30-something years of age, this, this guy was. He doesn't fight. He easily could have um, defeated the old man and not let him bind him. He lays down willingly and submits because he has caught the faith of his father because he's watched his father learn how to obey the Lord. And so like other people, when you walk out your obedience, other people will be blessed because of that. My children, I try to tell them a lot of times like, hey, we can't take you on these incredible trips that, you and, uh, that me and your mother are gonna go on as soon as y'all are out of the house. Because there's too many of you, but 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 uh, um, one thing that that you have had your entire life is you've had somebody to look at and see 
what it looks like to try to uh, lay your life down and obey the Lord, submit yourself to the word. And there are a lot of kids that haven't had that. You've been blessed because of, uh, of my obedience. The church, you guys are blessed because of my obedience. You're sitting here listening to me teach the word and share about what the, the Lord has taught me um, as I've walked out my obedience to him and how he's, uh, he's always been there and always been faithful. And other people are blessed through your obedience. And so when you obey, I will be blessed. Like, um, and the people around you, your kids will be blessed. And so that, that brings us to the big idea, which is trust and obey. Like, why would you not just trust and obey and expect that when it gets really scared and the Lord asks you to do something hard, which some of you, he's, 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 he's asking today that it feels hard because you've never done it, it will intensify, and it's all designed to grow you. It's not designed to uh, earn you a way into heaven. If you're on the highway of holiness, you're going to heaven. It's to give you more life. And the, the thief comes to steal your life, to kill it and destroy it. And so like, if you can listen to the Lord and see where he's calling you into these things, he is faithful to show up and be Jehovah Jireh and provide for you in the midst of what feels terrifying. Now, as we, as we land this, there's some really remarkable things about this, is that on the week, like when we... When we trace this story, so we say like, like this, is, this is where the story of the substitutionary death of Christ and what the Messiah would do is told right here in the, in the very beginning. Moses is raised up. Everybody thinks he's the deliverer. Um, the nation of Israel is now a, like they're a slave nation, but they're about to be led out of captivity. Moses leads them out of captivity, but he stumbles severely. He is not the lamb and they're still looking for them. We get on down a little bit further and the people ask for a king and God gives them King David who is a man after his own heart after they had foolishly um, selected um, King Saul before that it didn't work out but man, King David, he is a man after God's own heart. He commits adultery on Bathsheba. Where's the lamb? We go through all of the minor prophets and, and even major prophets from Zechariah and, and Isaiah to Malachi, and they're prophesying the lamb is coming. Then we get to the end of the Old Testament, and we have a 400-year period where there's not a prophet of God. Now, just stop and think about that. For four centuries, God did not record anything in the Word. For four centuries, there was no prophet who spoke on behalf of God. It was just the Old Testament and time was marching on. But the last prophet that God did use said there would be one who came in the spirit of Elijah and he would prophesy about the Messiah. We get to the Gospel of John and we, write, we read about um, that John the Baptist came and he was a prophet like the people had never heard. And so for the first time in 400 years, we have a prophet speaking on behalf of God. And uh, one of the things that the pro this prophet said is that, he would, that, the, that God told him, you'll recognize the Messiah when you see my spirit descending upon him. Jesus comes to him. He's got a major following as he's preaching about repentance. Jesus comes to him to be baptized himself. And, and he says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. He says, right now, permit it to be so. He baptizes Jesus. He hears a voice and he sees a dove descending down upon Jesus like, uh, like the spirit of God, like a dove descending down upon him. And, and, and the next day, Jesus comes through the area, 
two of John the Baptist, the prophet that is the first prophet in 400 years, two of the guys he's been discipling for a long time. As Jesus walks by, he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't follow me anymore. Follow this guy. For three years, Jesus would conduct an earthly ministry. He would perform miracles. He would teach parables. He would teach like no man had ever taught. And then at the end of the three years, if you read the Gospels, it says he, there comes a point that he set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. Like he was determined. Nothing was going to turn him back. He goes to Jerusalem at the end of that three years. It is during the Passover week. During that week, every Jewish family was required to observe the Passover, which meant that every household had to sacrifice a lamb. That lamb they would have to take into their house and keep him as almost like a pet for three days, just long enough to get really close to him. Then they would sacrifice him at the temple and they would eat that lamb as part of the Passover. On the very time that all these lambs are being herded into Jerusalem is when Jesus sets his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. Josephus, the historian, records that at one period in history, there would have been about 256,000 lambs in Jerusalem. They herd them all in, and Jesus is among the lambs as he enters Jerusalem. On the night he is betrayed, it says that the book of John says, or Luke, I believe, says that he, he crosses over the brook of the Kidron Valley. The brook of the Kidron Valley had a system of drainage that came out of the temple that all of these lambs that were sacrificed and slain that was pointing all the way back to this experience in Genesis, all of these lambs, the blood would run down out of the temple and it would go down into this brook. Jesus literally on the night he was betrayed steps over this blood. He's betrayed in three days. They crucify him in Jerusalem, which is Mount Moriah, where all this happened thousands of years earlier. Do I trust the Bible? <laughs> Without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, it's just a book that a bunch of guys wrote. Man, you can't get guys to agree on anything. <laughs> like, like this thing is such harmony that it's absolutely incredible. And so I would say, man, is like whatever he's asking you to lay down, like whatever he's asking you to sacrifice, Trust and obey. And, and if you've never given him your life, give him your life and then look for the test. Like if you've already done that, what is the major test in your life? Are you prepared to lay it down and put the knife to it? If you will, you'll see that you'll get more life than you ever dreamed was possible because you're learning to trust God as Jehovah Jireh. He will see to it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There'll be people up here at the front to pray with you. Maybe you need to come and lay something on the altar. Bind it up. What's your Isaac? What do you love more than anything else that's keeping you from experiencing God's provision in your life? Don't be afraid to lay it down and put the knife to it. Because generally what the Lord is after is not that thing, it's you. It's you that he wants. And so whatever it is, whether it be giving your life to him in faith and, and trusting him for salvation or whatever this test may be, don't be afraid of it. Your life is wrapped up in putting the knife to that thing 
that feels precious to you. It's the Lord that is precious to you. When he becomes more important than anything else, that's when you will find your life. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.